Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Podcast day. Hmm. Long one today. Yes. This time of year. Hmm. Expect that. Nothing else going on. Hmm. Could be a record. Hmm. Have to look it up. Yes. Hmm. One of many in the list, you see. Hmm. So many podcasts. So many. Yes, not enough time in the day. One might argue. Yes. Hmm. Don't have as much time as I used to. Hmm. Not like when I was a boy. Hmm. No, those years might be a record. I have to look it up. Hmm. Your mother's well. I must go. It's time to listen to my favorite podcast called for screen and country. Brendan, Jason, hmm, movies, a hundred of them, I believe, might be a record. I'll have to look it up. Should we, should we cut him off, or is he gonna... I think we, I think he's just left. He's just going. Okay. He's just out the door. Bye, Alfred. Bye. Bye, Mike. Oh, I thought that was Alfred Pennyworth. <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, he was cosplaying as, as certainly as Alfred. He was cosplaying as Michael. He was Alfred Pennyworth cosplaying as actor Michael Gao. I will say right now uh, that is the most polite introduction we've had in a while. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Not very hostile in the least. Took took a little long to get to the point. Well, you know what? Hey, he was a nice guy. Yeah. Also, another dead celebrity. <laughs> We they're, just, the, they're the easiest to get it, actually, it like, turns out. Like I said, that mausoleum back there is really working <laughs> out for really us. really working out for us. It's a good thing I took necromancy when I went to university. I know. I told you your, I told you the arts degree was a waste That's of time. That's right. Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is for Screen and Country. And Jason, we do a podcast about the films of the Brits. Yes. Specifically, the best 100 films... As placed on a list by British people in 1999, mm. uh, members of the British Film Institute determined what the most, the most British movies, yes, as well as the best British movies of all time. No, were. just the most. Just this the is most the BFI British most 100 British films, which is why the Avengers 1998 is top of the list. <gasps> That's a world I don't want to live in. No, <laughs> not really. But we are talking about a film this week, as we do every week. But before we get to this week's film. We have to talk about the go-between. 
Yes, 1970X's The Go-Between... 71? 71. 1971's The Go-Between, starring our friend Julie Christie and the, uh, I don't know anything else about him, Alan Bates. Michael Gow. Ooh, Michael Gow, we know him. Margaret Layton. Uh, yeah, she was good. Uh, Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, Ma- Matthew McConaughey. Talk about some fucking muscle. I'm Guys... That's what we in the business call a rib. <laughs> Not all those people are in this movie. For my next rib, and you guys can listen in, I'm going to punch Brendan in the face with a, a, a roll of quarters in my hand. Oh, God, no! <laughs> well, Jason, we don't have a lot of comments. That's why we're kind of filibustering. Yeah, we don't, yeah, yeah. We don't have a lot of comments. Not a lot of people between. saw this movie, Brendan. That's crazy. Yeah. I thought this was like a, as as widely seen and known as Forrest Gump. It's probably, there's probably been as many people that have watched this movie in the last maybe 30 years as have listened to this podcast. Well, no, I just said it wasn't as widely seen oh, as Forrest okay. Gump. Oh, okay. I gotcha. But yes, the go-between. I mean, most of these comments are, <laughs> there's only a few, and mo- most of them, aka two, are about how they've never seen this movie. 66% of our audience that responded to this film has not seen it. But this one, this person has, uh, from John Schroeder, he says, Beautiful movie, Alan Bates at his sexiest, Margaret Layton's Oscar nom. Thank you, John Schroeder, for watching this movie and giving us a comment, because it's, you know, it's it's, it's alright, but, th- you know, this isn't exactly a, uh, a nail-biter of a film. But what does Brett Sonnenschein say, Jason? Brett Sonnenschein says, never even heard of it. But it's funny to see a period movie with a font that screams 1971. So I've, I've looked at this poster, and I have to agree, it is very 70s. Brett, you are correct, sir. What's your favorite font, Brendan? <laughs> Comic Sans. That's a good font. My favorite font, ladies and gentlemen, is Futura. So check it out. Futura Bold also, quite nice. I am totally joking. I don't like Comic Sans. Uh, okay, so pick a font then. Don't be joking around. This is serious fucking business. Gothic font is nice. Yeah, yeah. It look like old German text. Yeah, I like the, uh, what is it, what is this called? Go Between 1971 font. 1971 Go Between, yeah, definitely. The uh, Perhaps we could see somebody on Match Game with their name rendered that way. <laughs> that would be weird. I don't know. Uh, Brett Summers. Our last comment, Jason. Charles from, Nelson Riley. Comes from Sharon Horwat, and she says, I unfortunately have not seen it, mm-hmm. but the description of the movie kind of reminds me of uh, a, a movie called A Little Night Music. I'm not sure what that is. And, and ma'am, we have not seen that movie either. Ma- ma'am? <laughs> Sorry, I'm in retail mode. <laughs> and would you like any... Uh, was it, did, did you, you have a Value Max ga- card and did you need oil or windshield washer for today? did you get any gas today? Any gas. <laughs> any gas. Well, I don't want to have to call the cops, lady. Wow, Sharon, I apologize for Jason's candor. He's always... I'm sorry, I'm all hopped up on espresso. I can't help it. I blew out your ears. Now I'm going to blow out your mind. Now apologize. I'm sorry. Now bow. Now curtsy. Now drink your coffee. Oh, as Mark Marrow would say, pow, I shit myself. I thought you said Mark Marrow like the wrestler. Yeah, Mark Marrow, the wrestler. Exactly, <laughs> I was yes. like, that was his catchphrase? Yeah, yeah. No wonder he well, that was when over. he was Johnny B. Bad. He'd be go, pow, I shit myself, and then he'd play a guitar. I was like, no wonder he didn't get over. <laughs> All right, so... The last thing we have to do here, Jason, is we compare this movie, now, number 57 okay. on the BFI Top 100, yep. to the movie that is number 57 on the AFI, that's the American Film Institute, Top 100. And what do the Yanks have to say? Okay, this is a good one. Number 57 on the AFI Top 100 yep. is 
It's Rocky. Fucking right. I'm gonna have to give it to Rocky. Yeah, I gotta I'm give sorry. it to Rocky. Any given day, I'll watch yeah. Rocky. Uh, not so much Go Between. No. No scenes in Go Between of, of them running upstairs. So, although I will say, having seen the first Rocky again not that long ago, mm. it's uh, it's a very very it's it's a good movie, but it's a very very slow movie. Yeah, it's the not first it, one is super like slow. like Rambo as well. There are two movies that are very like seventies dramas that have kind of spawned into something else, and it's very weird to go back and watch them, especially given like the stereotype of both of those series. And then you go back and watch the original movie, and you're like, wow, these are like dark. <laughs> Wait, so you're telling me that First Blood is nothing like First Blood Part Three? Nothing oh. whatsoever. What about the especially re- not like John Rambo, the re- or Rambo, or whatever the, it's called. Yeah, the remake was a uh, drama, I believe, right? Yeah, well, you took a fucking machine gun and shot a guy in the head from the back with a machine gun. I mean, that's that's pretty fucking cool. In the first Rambo, Brennan, he only kills one dude. He doesn't even really kill him because he falls from a helicopter. Youch! Youch is right. So we were we were talking about the go-between. Now we're talking about Rambo, which is not on the... Uh, is that on the AFI list? I don't know. It's on the BFI. I'm it better sure. Be. It's coming up. <laughs> first Blood Part 3 is on there. So let's move on, Jason. We've got... We've got Wrapped up the go-between. Yep. This is the go-between of this episode. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Unless, yeah. And let's is. move on. Let's move on to Life is Sweet. It is. That's right. We are talking about. If you didn't recognize it already from the music, <laughs> number ninety-five on the BFI Top One Hundred. We this is uh, besides the Killing Fields. This is the furthest we've gone down this list. Absolutely, we are at the absolute bottom of the barrel. The scumfuck movies. Yeah, the worst of the worst of the best. Yeah, because the Top One Hundred list, the last ten are the ones they oh, actually they're awful. Hate. They're just <laughs> awful because there's only ninety-five. No, there's only ninety good British movies. Eighty-nine. So these are all bad. Eighty-nine. Yeah. Right. You're right. Eighty-nine. Regardless, irregardless, even though that's not a word. <laughs> I mean, it is technically. Unfortunately. If people use a word and know what it means, it's a word, unfortunately. Well, the British would not be happy with it. I know, they hate us for it. They hate us for our slang, Brendan. Hate us for our slang, love us for our minds. That's right. Admire our bodies. Mm. Hey. Life is sweet. Life is sweet. Number 95. Nin- 95. It is a uh, It's a movie. It's, it, is, it is written and directed by Mike Lee. Mm-hmm. And it stars uh, Allison Stedman yes. as Wendy, our title character. Absolutely. Jim Broadbent as her husband, Andy. You may remember him as Mother from The Avengers, 1998. And, and his... I have a theory about this later. Okay, and uh, what, what, he was in another movie we watched too, wasn't he? Nope. This is our first official Jim Broadbent really? movie. Yeah. Wow. He wasn't uh, He wasn't somewhere in The English Patient? We missed him? No. no? You're thinking of maybe Colin Firth? Oh, yeah. yeah exactly. Those two, I, I mix those two up all the time. Exactly. Uh, Claire Skinner as their daughter Natalie, their uh-huh. kind of tomboyish daughter. Uh, Jane Horrocks as Ni- Nicola, their very anarchic daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Rhea as Patsy, uh, Hello, Patsy. Andy's, Andy's uh, friend. 
dicey friend. Absolutely. Uh, Timothy Spall as Aubrey. We remember him from the Harry Potter films as the Rat Man. Yep. Peter Pettigrew. Uh, David Thewlis shows up in this movie. From The Big Lebowski. Uh, in that, like, three-minute role he has in that Jesus movie. Jesus Christ, Jason. <laughs> or, you know, movie, like, Harry Potter. <laughs> okay, he was in Harry Potter as well. He was also in, uh, probably his greatest role was The Island of Dr. Moreau. Classic. Uh, so yeah, David Thewlis as Nicola's uh, boyfriend. Who doesn't even have a name. Just, nope. He's just Nicola's lover. That's yeah. what he's credited as. <laughs> and yeah, so that is Life is Sweet. So with that being said, Jason, God save the Queen. <laughs> oh, we're done. Yeah. I'm going home. Bye. Uh, so why don't we get into it then? Tell us, Jason, what is Life is Sweet all... Life is Sweet is... About. About stuff. It's about a family. Now, the... Uh, out of the Gate, and we've had other movies like this, but uh, Out of the Gate, if you've ever seen Days to Confuse, you know how great a movie that is, and it has no plot. This is kind of the same way. There's plot threads in this movie, but yep. there's no overall plot and not a lot of resolution by the end of it. You're kind of following a family over the course of a week, I think? Or a couple weeks. A couple you know? weeks, it's, like, yeah. it's basically just a, a brief look into their life over the cor- in a summer in North London. In about 1990, I would say. Right after the Thatcher era. The Margaret right Thatcher the end era. Of the, right at the end of the Thatcher era, as yeah. that was ending. I'm not sure. I have to look it up here. I see when she resigned. I believe, well, I believe looking into it and saying that this was right after. Yeah. So um, and I, I, one little thing to talk about from this uh, when we get to it, because uh, I'll mention it. But, okay. Um, I believe you. You should. So it's set in North London, about 1990. Uh, we got a family, and the family consists of. So we got Andy, who's the dad, played by Jim Broadbent. He mm-hmm. works. At, he works kind of a uh, a bit of a grinding job as an industrial chef. Yeah, he's kind of a supervisor. Yeah, yeah. In like a, in like a big kitchen that I assume makes food for like a hospital or a prison or uh, government employees or something like that. We got the mom, Wendy. Uh, she... what I, I would argue, if we're going to pick a main character, it's probably Wendy. Yeah, Wendy, exactly. She's the glue that, like like so many families, she's the glue that holds everything together. Wendy is great. A ray she of is, sunshine. She's a ray of sunshine. She's a, such a wonderfully positive character. She she laughs at everything. She's one, And, and I, I feel her because I do that too. I, 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 I read somewhere <laughs> that uh, someone comparing her, that she's almost like a vaudeville comic. Yeah. Is that she laughs, she laughs at everything, but she also makes a lot of quick, like, dirty jokes. Oh, yeah. She loves, she loves, like, like digging in on dirty jokes. Like, and, people say, like, it, like someone who says, like, oh, the umbrella won't quite fit. And she's like, oh, what? Can't find, can't find the hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. My mom's not like that, but my mom sometimes has times like that, not quite as dirty, but just like, when you're that type of like kind of manically happy almost yeah Uh, but also you know she's not you know she's a human being she's not just a cartoon character but she works she teaches kids uh dance and she works in a children's clothing store which is kind of an interesting job uh and i imagine thankless um and then they got a couple kids they got a couple of girls that are fraternal twins uh we've got who uh, i like legitimately thought the I thought at first it might have been the same actor. Yeah, and and I also thought I, I, had, I was wondering that at first, and then I looked up the casting just to make sure. Yeah, well, I thought it was the same actor, and then I thought, oh, maybe they're actually related. Yeah, but I don't. Neither is the case. So we've got uh, we got uh, Natalie. Yep, who is the uh, she's the, a, a little more of a tomboy, as we pointed out. She's a bit rugged. Yep, she's. Um, yeah, she's um, more like asexual. A little bit, yeah. But she she is a plumber, mm-hmm. uh, which her which interestingly is only mentioned briefly at one point. But her mom was not in favor of initially, but then accepted the fact that she wanted to be a plumber. Yeah, well, isn't that kind of like interesting? I just thought about that now. Yeah, it's almost like a euphemism for like coming maybe, out. Maybe, maybe, perhaps. You yeah. Know. 
Um, I wonder if that hit. Wow. But it's like, but that's the thing is that it's like she came out, but now she supports her totally because she's happy. She's doing a job. Well, that's what I mean. Isn't yeah. that isn't that kind of like the same thing? Kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it was a very like uh, early '90s like brief illusion or something. But yeah. she likes to hang out at the pub with her boys and uh, play pool and drink pints and just you know. Enjoy what's going on. Uh, her sister, Nicola, not so much. Nicola is a bit of a recluse, uh, to put it mildly. She doesn't leave her room a lot. Um, she's very <laughs> cynical and bitter uh, for a person who is not older than 22 years old, which I gauged from the point that it, well, they said the spoon was made in 1975 when she was seven, so that means they were born in 1968. And if this movie was in 1990, then that means they are both 22 years old, which will come into play later. Yeah, she's got her own issues. She she fancies herself political, but she doesn't really leave her room, so she doesn't really do anything about it. She's very, like, she's ready to kind of react with, like, fascist pig. Yeah, exactly. Or, like, you sexist. You capitalist. My, my favorite is, uh, my favorite is when... All men are capable of rape, so they're rapists. Well, we'll play that later yeah. on, but my favorite is when uh, Nat makes a joke about how she's going to get, quote, yanked by yeah. an American, like a yeah. Yankee, Yeah. and she tries to explain that it's the joke, and she's like, well... And then she explains it further, and then when Nicola realizes what the joke is, she just goes, RACIST! <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite. I love her voice. She's a very, very annoying voice. But, but I but, like it. Yeah, it's, it, it, it suits the character. Yeah. Um, so Andy, the dad, isn't real happy with his job, because he works in an industrial kitchen, he's a chef, he doesn't feel like he's, you know, making it, uh, doing what he wants to do, so... He's one, one of those, I'll finish that project this afternoon. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I'll take care of it this afternoon. Oh, I couldn't do it, it's gonna rain, you know. Yeah. Um, but one day his, uh, his buddy, his drinking buddy, Patsy shows up to the house and he's got probably six or seven, at least in him. That's Steven Rhea. Steven Rhea. And we'll definitely see a lot more of in a later film. Oh yes. The crying game. Oh yeah. Do we see his bat, his balls? I don't think so. Okay. I just so, mean like he's, I he's just mean like lot. as a lead. Okay. So, um. I don't know why I made that sound sexual. <laughs> so Steven, uh, uh, Steven, uh, so Patsy insists that he, that, that, um, Andy come with him. He is surprised to show him. Which yep. never and, bodes well from a drunk person. And it's not his dick. It's not his dick. But Andy's like, ah, what the hell? So he goes with him, they hop in the car, he drives him out to this junkyard, and he's got this old-ass chip van. Yeah. This caravan. Like a food truck. uh, Food truck, essentially, that you tow with your car. And uh, uh, he wants to sell it to him. And he's like, I don't have the money. And so they, they eventually, he wants it, and so they come to an agreement, he pays him like 425 pounds, yeah, and he buys it's, it. It's crazy. And uh, it's never addressed, but like the way that Patsy kind of looks around after he completes the sale indicates that that's not his van. And there's no way it's his van. <laughs> there's no there's way no, it's his there's van. There's absolutely no way. <laughs> and also, I love the fact that his name is Patsy, Yeah, because that's kind of what Andy ends up yeah, being. Yeah, he ends up be, he's the Patsy, yeah. ironically. Meanwhile, uh, so he brings it home and shows it to his family, and... His wife isn't real sure about this idea. It seems kind of silly, especially given the shape that the caravan is in. It's not in great shape, and it needs a lot of work. Um, but ultimately, she supports her husband, and she wants him to be happy, so she's going to get behind him on this one. Uh, the kids are... Uh, I think Natalie Natalie appreciates it. She thinks that it'll you know make him a happier person, but of course... she th- she. I mean, she tells him that it's dumb at first. Yeah, it's kind of dumb, but at yeah. the same time, it seems to be making him happy, the idea of it. So. And, and Nicola, as they say, like... It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. You capitalist. Capitalist pig. Yeah. yeah. So somebody's got to make money, right? Yeah. We should mention, too, that they all have jobs except for her, by the way. Except yeah, exactly. Everybody works. Like, the, these adult children live at home, but uh, well, Nat, everybody Nat, has a job. Yeah, Nat is a plumber. Yeah. The dad, you said, works in chef. a chef. Mom works in the she children's two, clothing store. She has a couple jobs, and Nicola just stays at home. She just stays at home and smokes yeah. constantly. Yeah. Now, we find out over the course of the film that part of the reason this is is because she's dealing with her own issues one of which is a case of bulimia a which case, as if it's just solvable yeah it's just a case of bulimia just it's just, just a, a wee touch, case of bulimia a wee touch of bulimia yeah. 
which which the movie does i think a very good job at like at first subtly introducing that because yeah. we see the first clue is that they're like why do you take two baths every day yeah uh, you know well we'll find out about that later but then the other thing is like um just her like they don't like point it out yeah. but the whole family is eating and she's not eating like, she was, she's she, or she's there. eating in the different room oh no there's once there's a scene earlier where they're yeah. all eating like a toasty and yeah. she's toasty and she's just sitting there smoking yeah she's like just clearly not even eating exactly um and there's like the allusions to it are are, are really interesting because i think in a lesser movie there would be a scene where she's straight up like why don't you why don't you stop being bulimic or something yeah. like that like there'd be a very obvious call to it and there there is there later. is i mean eventually we get to the point where we see her in a room just shoving uh various cookies and heroin scene what very harrowing scene yeah oh, i said it was a heroin scene but no, it's very it was... much like a heroin scene in some ways it's this ritual for her of like just shoving food in her face i mean it's an addiction just yeah, like absolutely. it's a problem just and like then, that and then yeah. throwing up afterwards i mean that's how that's that works you yeah know? um Binging and purging. Yep, absolutely. So that that is obviously taking a toll on both her body and her mental state. Well, yeah, and she has this like nervous tick where she kind of like slaps her face or yeah, whatever. Yeah, she tends to be very jittery. Yeah, um, and obviously she's just so sour. Yes. as my as my dad would say, oh, she's sour that one. Yeah, so she rarely leaves the house, uh, let alone a room even. She, but uh, when everybody's at work, that's when the booty call happens, Brendan. That's when our friend David Thewlis. Her quote-unquote lover, as credited in the credits, yeah, um, comes over to the house and they have a bit of a bit of a chat, and then they fuck. Now, what's interesting about the way they fuck, and this adds—I like, don't know what you're going to say because I thought it was a totally normal, totally like, normal thing. But but this adds an extra wrinkle to the psycho- psychology of the the eating disorder. Yeah, um, which he's not keen on doing right away. Yeah, well, he's done it. It's clear he's done it before, and he's yes. not keen on doing it again. He's getting right. kind of tired of it. So clearly, they've done it a lot. Yes. But her preferred method of sexual interaction seems to be being tied up and then having chocolate sauce smeared over her chest. And then David Thewlis, uh, game guy that he is, goes ahead and licks it all off. Um, and this is like a scene where I I was shocked. Yeah, it was because it kind of came out of nowhere. You have this movie that you know this isn't like a dirty movie, and then all of a sudden this chick has no shirt on and her chest is covered with uh you, with and, the chocolate and, sauce, and, and he's like just going to town. And is it? It's like it's like I'll tell you, I'll be the first to admit right now. Food mixed with any kind of like sex or violence for me is just a whew, like I'm just okay. Like, you can't put food in the same category as violence. No, no, I'm sorry. What I mean is like food, that says a lot about you, Brendan. Okay, no, listen. <laughs> when there's like food mixed with like something gory, uh-huh. like dead alive. Brain oh, dead. or like uh, like um, on Hannibal when they show him preparing food, it's like oh, this guy's a cannibal. That doesn't even bother me that oh, much. Okay. It's like food when it's mixed with like like in Dead Alive when he, they're eating pudding and his fucking ear falls in and then he <laughs> eats the ear in the pudding. That, that actually great. grosses me out. Wow. So I can't watch it on film. Not gonna like you're weird. Shame anyone, but <laughs> I just, I'm gonna shame you. You're weird for having aversions to f- body parts in your food. Me, what kind of weirdo are you? Okay. <laughs> it just ma- it just makes me feel sick. Okay. Well, we don't want you to throw up during the movie, Brendan. Okay, thank you. But, but, uh, yeah, but there was that. no body parts. There was only the well. I mean, it was one body part, but it was alive. It wasn't gory. But it was like sex stuff and food. Yeah. Anyway, go on. You don't like fucking a sandwich once in a while? <sighs> Jesus. Even the thought of that, even you saying that makes me sick. <laughs> Ham sandwich, Swiss cheese, a little bit of mayo. Hate, mm, oh. Feels so good. Oh. All right. <laughs> Oh, now I know what to do. Now I know what to do, folks. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so they have that. They do that thing. Um, now, David Thewlis' character uh, comes back one more time and doesn't want to fuck. 
and eventually tells her that, like, hey, I just want to have a chat with you, but you seem real stupid. <laughs> you seem kind of dumb and vacant and airheady, and you know what? I'm not into it anymore, so I'm not going to be your fuck toy. Well, and he takes off. Well, let's let's play that scene, because this is a, where David Thewlis breaks it off with her, because she's very, like, she always says she's political. Mm-hmm. She says she's, she's you know, throwing out words like fascist and sexist and all that stuff. She has a lot stuff. of books in her room. A lot of books. She claims to be a feminist. This is their, this is their kind of conversation that kind of opens up her character a little bit. No, 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 I come in, we go straight upstairs, we do it. Bingo, you're a pain in the ass. I don't want that. I want to see you nice. What's nice? Don't be a boring cliche. Oh, nice, nice. Show me a bit of civility, a bit of respect. You don't show me no respect. I'm trying to respect you now, trying to treat you like a real person instead of some fucking shag bag. (laughs) Come on, talk to me. Anything. Anything you think, anything you know. What do you care about? Aye. You got all these fucking books upstairs, you women who love men too much, men who hate women, women who love them, women in love, women's room, female eunuch. Have you have you read any of that crap? Was it to you? Have you? Of course. So what have you learnt from it? Oh, I'm a feminist. What's a feminist? Oh, come on. No, 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 what's it mean? Stop being antagonistic. I'm not being antagonistic. I'm trying to have an intelligent conversation with you. Are you capable of that? Hey? Eh? I don't think you are, are you? Really? Bit vacant, isn't you? Bit of an airhead. Nothing going on. Bit dumb. Bit dizzy. Bimbo, bimbo, damn blonde stuff, ain't ya? Hey, hello? Anyone at home? Hello? Hello? You're a fake. I mean, the way he goes about it is a little aggressive. Oh, he's a mean asshole, but I mean, you could argue that this is a bit of tough love for her. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Uh, she's trying to be this person that she's not. Mm. Is she's using all these ideologies and stuff to represent herself, but really she's just basically regurgitating stuff she's reading. She which doesn't you, actually understand any of it. Which you get that. I mean, celebrity culture is a lot about that oh, yeah. too. You get a lot of celebrities. Celebrity jump on. culture, political culture, media culture, yeah. fucking culture culture. I mean, you get a lot of celebrities jumping on, you know, political trains about this or that or whatever. Without really like you yeah, know taking the time to at least maybe read a little bit at least read the Wikipedia article about what's going on yeah and I'm not saying they all do it no but I'm saying there are certain ones that definitely are bandwagon jumpers well and it's I, I'm glad you mentioned this scene because we go we we kind of skipped over another character yes played by Timothy Spall yes we were I was going to get to him I had him on okay. my list here but yes we can talk about okay him. so Aubrey Aubrey so Aubrey makes his entrance into the film wearing a uh, San Francisco Giants jersey which is a weird thing to see right well, a jacket actually like a, yeah like a jacket. baseball jacket. Uh, you see in England. A strange hat that he a wears. Very early 90s hat. Turned very late up. 80s, early 90s, long build hat. Turned up. Turned up, all the way. And um, he makes his entrance. He goes over to visit Wendy and the family. I guess he's supposedly Andy's friend. Mm-hmm. Which we'll talk about in later. In my notes, I describe him as a quote, real weird cat. Yeah. Probably, honestly, probably one of my favorite performances in this movie, though. He's it's a like, weird performance. He's very cartoony, I think. I, I think that makes him stand out in a I mean, good it, way, it, it feels like Timothy Spall got this script and thought, I'm going to have fun with this. I'm going to do something interesting. And, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, it, it works. It works, yeah, for the most part. He's a, he's a weird guy, so it is, it's a weird performance. I think he's meant to be that kind of character, though. To he's stand going out quiet, quiet. Yeah. Well, let's... let's hey, uh, let, a bit of bit. 
Well, let's yeah. talk, let's play this scene here where he uh, he kind of comes to the house and he's talking with Nicola. He called talks in his sort of his mouth, you know. Well, we'll we'll hear it. We'll hear it. Here we go. My hair's falling out. Yeah, well, stop pulling it then. Still falls out. It's really nice hair. You take the piss. No, I mean it. I'm sincere. Bollocks. You're a really attractive girl, you know. No, I'm not. I'm too fat. <laughs> fat. What is fat? It's all in the mind. Do you want to put it down? Yeah. Things on a turn. I didn't want to waste it. I had a few ideas, but you know. Why didn't you eat it? Great news. So I've neglected to mention he also brings a pineapple. He has a pineapple in his hands and he's fidgeting with it. And she tells him to put it down. And he's like, "Oh, I better," because he brought the pineapple for Wendy. Right. But, but then he says it's turnt, meaning it's it's going bad. I'm, I'm <laughs> gonna guess that he has some sort of mental illness. Maybe he's uh, perhaps on the spectrum. Or on the spectrum in some some fashion. Because well, and, and I guess I don't want to jump around your plot here, but I'm get, okay. I guess we'll go to Aubrey at this point. Well, well, well I, I haven't written to talk about Aubrey anyway. So he, yeah. So, so he, he he's, he's gonna a open a restaurant. Family. He's a friend of the family, yeah. and he uh, is going to open a restaurant that he calls right. the the Regret Rien, which regret if you know Rien. French, you know it means regret nothing. So basically, no regrets. No regrets. Which he has taken from an Edith Piaf song. Yeah. Um, which, <laughs> hilariously enough, he's cu- there's a scene that they cut into where he's kind of singing. He's kind of in the middle of singing the song, yeah. and then he's like, "Yeah, it's like that. It's like that." And they're like, "Oh, so it's like the French girl." He's like, "Yeah, she's a prostitute. She died. Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> and then and then. They ask him, they're like, oh, his restaurant. They're like, oh, so you got your menus all printed up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I don't. <laughs> I was like, doesn't it open Tuesday? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like this whole thing where like, what well, people want, what people want to eat in your yeah. restaurant? They want to know what to eat. And, and you know, Nicola's like, what if they don't want to eat? It's like, they're going to eat in a restaurant, you dummy. <laughs> it's just this great, like, back and forth scene. Um, but, it, but it basically boils down to this guy really wants to be a chef and he's gone to the trouble of opening or having this space and like, Wanting to be a a a restaurateur, but he doesn't really understand interior design. He's got a bunch of like French shit and yeah. weird Victorian stuff. Can and, we like, talk about? Head. Yeah, we need to talk about this restaurant in detail. Yeah, yeah. He so he has he has his restaurant. Uh, Wendy and Andy are like, oh, well, let's, let's check it out. So they go to the restaurant. There's like, yeah, instead of like maybe you'd see like a deer. Mm. Like a moose head or something. It's a cat's head, which, as I understand, was something that was popular in Victorian times. Which is. Not now, though. But but he's got a bunch of French shit too. Like but the, like the bicycle in the window is very French, and then the 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 tabletop bottles with but, the candles. But they're like random pieces yeah, of exactly. culture. It's yeah, not as no, a, as a whole, it doesn't congeal. As the dude might say, there's nothing that really ties the room together. Yes, exactly. Thank you, Jeff Bridges. Uh, he wants to put like he talks about having like random accordions. Like yeah. they're he's they're like oh they work. He's like no they're naked. I got I got them for like twenty bucks. We'll put them up on the wall. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, somebody, somebody got you, buddy. And the reason I say he, the reason I said earlier, I think he's kind of on the spectrum, is because the way he answers some of the things they ask him, it's like he doesn't catch on to what everyone is kind of catching on to. Yeah, like when they when they say like when they basically call him dumb, he's yeah. just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, okay. Like he doesn't really understand they're calling him like you know. Yeah, either doesn't understand or is actively like blocking it out. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, his his restaurant is insane. And then he he gets. He's also cook. not a very doesn't seem to be a very good cook. He uh, makes no. some weird fucking dishes. Like he you, when he's going through the menu at one point, he's like liver and lager and like. Oh, do you tongue. want to hear the menu? Yeah, let's hear the menu. Okay. We want to hear the menu. You get hear the menu. This guy was offering on his opening night. First of all, he thinks he's fucking uh, cheesecake factory because you get a menu that's a hundred pages long. But listen to this. So you got chop souffle. Yeah. Kidney volivants. Oh, volivants, yeah. We had them on my twenty-first volivants. They're nice. I should have a whole kidney. Ugh. King prawn in jam sauce. Oh yeah, just the one. <laughs> Chilled brains. I speak for themselves. Oh, not brains. Prune quiche. That's one for our vegetarian friends. Right. Black pudding and camembert soup. Oh no, don't. Boiled bacon consomme. And our consomme. That's the same as soup, isn't it? It's basically the bacon water. Yeah. It's like what your mum gives you when you're ill. And a savoy on a bed of lye cheese. Oh, I got a little Chinesey one in there. That's all your hors d'oeuvre and your entrees. Right, so this is me main courses type of thing, right? What's that one there? Pork what? Pork list. Pork cyst. Cyst? Yeah. Oh, you're joking me. No. No, it's not called cyst. <laughs> oh, my dad had one of them. Did he? Yeah. Underneath. <laughs> hey, cough. <laughs> oh, bless him. What is it? It's like a dumpling, you know? Oh, I couldn't. Well, and like at that point, we should mention that his waitress basically leaves, won't come in. Yeah, she, and she, Wendy she fucks is, off on a trip with her boyfriend. And Wendy begrudgingly agrees to cover for her. For yeah. her. Um, okay. So I, I just want to say about here, I just want to say the family initially support him, uh, but they start to lose confidence when they actually see the restaurant and the type of food he makes. And he's also not super professional. <clears throat> and he's also not super professional because he's kind of been trying to fuck his dog's body. He's like gopher that works in the kitchen. His what? what? He calls her a dog's body, which is a term in England. It's like, a, it means just a person that kind of does the shit work. I'm glad you clarified that because I was like, I missed that part of the yeah, movie. Yeah, no, no, he did not fuck a dog. <clears throat> did you notice that his cook kind of, rem- you know she reminded her dog's, me of? His dog's body. Okay, well, I'm going to say cook because it's weird for me to say <laughs> the other thing. You know who she reminded me of? Who's that? Tanya in Dr. Zhivago. You know who she reminded me of? That kid that was the uh, the drug dealer in um, Harold and Kumar, the the hippie uh, is Dov something. It's the the hip. Do you remember Harold and Kumar go to White Castle? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so remember when they go to the university and they meet up with the uh, the hippie guy that has the weed, the big bag of weed, and he doesn't want to like get rid of it. And kind then they, of. He's like in love with the bag of weed. Yeah, he, yeah. She reminds me of that guy. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, she really reminded me of Tanya from Doctor Zhivago, okay. like the one that like. The one that Alec Guinness is talking to in the I don't think that story. I don't think the I think that girl too was born in 1968, so that doesn't work. No, it's not the same actress, but she, just she kind of has a similar look, especially the nose. Yeah. Did you notice? <laughs> I don't know if you saw the new uh, Stars Born. No. But there's a part in uh, Stars Born where he kind of runs his finger down her nose, mm. and Aubrey does that yeah, to the cook does. in this, and I was like, "Holy shit, Bradley Cooper's a big where fan." They stole it from. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he he basically forces himself on her. Although she sort of seems into it. It's weird. It's, it's like so she doesn't strange. she doesn't seem into it at the time, but then later she seems concerned, like him, like she's in some you know sort of deeper relationship. With it's him. a strange relationship. Yeah, because it's just kind of thrust on the movie too. Like because we don't know who she is before all of a sudden he Aubrey is like showing her the ropes. Yeah, and Aubrey has this real sense of himself that is definitely not shared by anyone else. Where yeah. he's like he's like you know. You're not dealing with some amateur. Yeah. He's like, you're, you're dealing with the real deal here. Yeah. Baby. I could show you things you never even dreamed yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's got some, he, he has at least some confidence, if not real, certainly feigned very well that he's, you know, this 
amazing cook and lover and everything else. Which is crazy because the movie kind of takes a turn with this character because I think you do kind of feel bad for yeah. him at first. Yeah, you do. And, and, and then you realize, okay, he's kind of a creep. So on that opening night, uh, after we heard that menu, uh, nobody comes because he didn't buy an ad in the paper or tell no. anybody that he was opening a restaurant. So right. so he they, gets really drunk. So they all they, they sit there and drink wine and he just keeps pounding her back and hits on his hits on the dog's body and basically tries to have a little wave with her, but the, nothing goes down with, there. With Wendy, you mean? Oh well, yeah. Eventually, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So yeah, right, right. You're right. So he gets back to Wendy, and he's trying to mac on her, and of course she's dealing with that. She doesn't like to deal with that, but in her Wendy way, she's dealing with him. Uh, and then it just it just goes to shit from there. He like they, he starts taking his pants off because he wants to give Andy his suit because he doesn't have a good suit, and she's <laughs> yeah. just like, oh for fuck's sake. And then he starts knocking over the tables and just smashing everything and knocking shit off the walls, and and then he like. Starts saying crude things about Wendy, and then like he passes out. On the oh floor. yeah, he straight up says, "I want to fuck you." I want to fuck you. And then while he's on the floor, he like drunkenly mutters Nicola's name. Ah, Nicola. I want to say why I think that this happens. Ready for this? Okay. This is my theory. Yeah. My theory is that we already talked about how Nicola is kind of a phony. Yeah. How she's like spouting all these things about like feminism, blah blah blah, whatever, as if they're her own thoughts. Yeah. He's kind of like that too, yeah. because he's kind of like bringing all these ideas that he kind of has about French culture, yeah. and bringing them all together. Talking about how he's this great chef, he he knows all about cooking and all this stuff. He's kind of a phony. It's yeah. almost like they're calling to each other, like they're both the same kind of fake person. Yeah, just putting you know trying to try to be something maybe they aren't. Without, yeah, or or trying to be something without putting the work into it that you might actually need to call yourself that. Right, and that's why I think it's so that scene between them, that one scene between them where they're talking to each other. It's so interesting because it's almost like they both kind of have their guards down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Wendy babysits him and then shoves off and heads home to her place. Lets the I think the dog's body takes care of her or because the dog's body was it was sad because they wanted to go for chips and Wendy's response was chips. He's in a coma. He's not going for chips. <laughs> but he's like, I'll buy you chips, and she's like, I don't want chips. Then Wendy has to deal with something else when she gets home. So she gets so she goes home after dealing with this shit show, and then walks up to her house where uh, uh, Andy had been out drinking with Patsy. Uh, Patsy tried to sell him a portable TV, but he didn't bite. I don't yeah. think. Uh, remember the time of portable TVs? They were cool. You wanted him to buy it for like a hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. Want to spend all his money on it? And he thankfully in his drunken state was like, "Yeah, no, not happening." Um, and, then, and then Patsy shows his true colors because he's just like, all right, see you later. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's a really good friend. No, he's not. No, he's just a fucking... He's kind he's of a scumbag. Well, he talks about going to see his mother. Fuck that. He means he was out uh, drinking. Yeah. Or was well, doing that's, something. Well, that's the thing because he, when he comes over earlier in the movie, he's like, I was just at my mother's and he's drunk as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's his euphemism. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah. So she she comes home and there is Andy passed out in the chip van, drunk as shit. Yep. And apparently Andy's not the guy to get that drunk very often, but he got shittered. And so she has to drag his ass inside and he wants to go have another beer. And she, and, and I, it was so, it hit me so, because uh, I've done that with Justin many times, my good friend Justin, uh, having to like drag his ass home from the bar. And, he, and he's like, like, Justin, you need to go to bed. No, I need to have one more beer. No, the last thing you need is one more beer. You need to go to bed. And that's what he's doing. And so she drags his ass upstairs and fucking throws him into the, into the bathroom. Go have a pee or go have a wee. And I will back you up on that because there was one time I threw Justin into the back of a taxi and then basically picked him up and handed him over to you. Yes. Uh, and, and, and this man is not an alcoholic. This man very rarely drinks to that extent, but yeah. when he does, 
It it's usually a is show. a shit show. Welcome to Justin Cast. This is Brendan and Jason complaining about Justin. <laughs> Justin, are you listening? We're we hope so. About we you. love you. We love you and your drunken antics. The the rare blue moon they happen. <laughs> but yeah, he's uh, and then he just basically passes out. Yeah, he passes out. And Their kids are asking, but she kind of snaps at everybody. Well, because they're asking how the restaurant thing goes, and yeah. she does not want to talk about yeah, it right now. Absolutely. Understandably, she's just like everybody, fuck off, basically. So yeah, so throughout the film. An interesting thing we see, and I don't think we see enough of Natalie, but she's well-adjusted, so maybe she wouldn't be that interesting to show, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the thing. She's the well-adjusted daughter. She's got a job. She She's living her life. She's enjoying herself. She's going whatever. to America on a trip. Absolutely. She wants to go to those places, but Nicola is is not, and she's not happy. And finally, Nicola and, and her mother, Wendy, have a bit of a confrontation about this, and it is... It is both the realest scene in this movie and, and maybe one of the realest scenes I've seen in any movie. Do is we want this. to hear a little bit of that? I do. We definitely got to hear a little bit of this. This confrontation, whatever, between Wendy and Nicola. How are you political? I read the paper. I watch the news. I'm more political than you. Oh, blimey, Nicola. We can all watch the telly. You should be out there helping the old age pensioners or going on marches or whatever. Marches are a waste of time. It's boring. If you put your money where your mouth is, you should be joining one of these socialist what's it groups or the nuclear disarmament, whatever, but you don't. All you do is sit here in this room staring at the walls and tweaking and twitching. And you're so perfect. No, I'm not perfect, but I haven't given up. I'm still out there fighting. And I tell you what, Nicola, every time I look out that window and I see that rusty old caravan sitting there, do you know what it says to me? It says to me there's a man who hasn't given up either who's still out there fighting, looking for his dream. It says to me there's a man who's getting greedy. Greedy? Your dad? He's the most unselfish man I've ever met. Do you know he's up at six o'clock every morning, slogging his guts out in a job he hates, which is more than you do. And he still comes home at the end of the week with sod all. I'm not prepared to be exploited. Exploited? You're not prepared to work, full stop. So that's just part of it because this is a lot. It gets more intense too. It gets more intense because she then goes on to say, like, she we really get a sense of their history together. Where Nicola, at one point, her bulimia was so bad that she almost died. Yeah, she was two weeks. They, the doctors gave her two weeks. And Wendy tells her that, and she did not know that. She had no idea that was. She's like, you didn't know that, did you? I'm assuming this happened like quite a while ago. Like, I'm assuming she was quite young when this happened. No, I mean, it couldn't have been that long. I mean, I don't know the children are believing. Okay, I, I mean, they probably could be, but... I mean, yeah. The, no. But yeah, it was... Because she's 22 at this point, so sometimes, say, in the last decade. Yeah. It probably happened. Um, but yeah, yeah and, it, and and it is... It's so real. Like, as I, yeah. I've had fights like that with my parents um, in the past, and it, it really, really hits home. But... It, it, yeah, Wendy's just like... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that it, she gets to the point where she's like... She's just trying to tell her she wants to be happy. She wants her to do something and to be sitting in her room and just doing nothing is not going to change that. And she, being the hard-headed young person she is, she just pulls out this thing like, you hate me. And she looks at her and says, we don't hate you. We love you, you stupid girl. And like closes the door and walks away. Because what are you going to do at that point? And Nicola just breaks down. And she breaks down crying too. And and just so raw. So fucking raw. Um, I, I would argue a lot of stuff like that is like in this movie is like that. Yeah, the, yeah but so, that's that's the most intense moment I would say. Yeah, in the film. for sure. Um, and so they're dealing with that. So they kind of and then Nicola gets a call or not Nicola. Uh, uh, Wendy, Wendy gets a call yeah. that 
Andy was at work and he had slipped on a spoon and broke his ankle and was in quite a lot of pain. Which is ironic because he all he, earlier he was talking about how how he always uh, enforces health and safety. Health and safety. Be careful. Be careful. Absolutely. And then he's the one that injured at work. Did he drop the spoon? Was, was that figured out who dropped the spoon? I don't. I think someone else did, but. It's funny because also there's also a thing earlier where he fl- flips over the couch or something, and yeah. Wendy is like, "You're gonna break a leg." <laughs> Foreshadowing. <laughs> ha ha! And and Wendy, when she answers it, she hears about it and she starts laughing because that's her, and she's like, "I'm so sorry, I'm laughing, but it, you just yeah, that would happen to him." Like, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like yes, of course, I'll be right down to get him. Yeah, exactly. Well, and he's like, he's getting paid vacation. Like, yeah, whatever. exactly. So she hauls his ass home, and they. She goes up to get Nicola because her father wants to see Nicola. And Did you have... think at that point that Nicola had killed herself? No. I no, really no. thought that was going to happen. No, that actually, surprisingly, that didn't enter into my head. Really? She just, I just came up and, because, I, again, in those situations, it's like they're just sulking in their room. Right? I just was worried because we left that situation a while yeah. ago. They went to go get Andy and came back, then went up and she called her name out. I was like, oh my God, something happened. Well, th- this movie was made in 1990 and not... 2010 so that would have happened in <laughs> people didn't die movie. in 1990 movies nope, nope they did not was not allowed the uh, British film code of proper filmness was not yeah. to be violated so bridge on the river quiet there were no casualties no casualties whatsoever everybody was fine they just were a little dirty yeah he just said what have I done and then he went to bed exactly <laughs> absolutely um, so they she goes up they have a chat they kind of like manage to reconcile a little bit a little and kind of get on the same level and they go down and visit the dad and the movie finishes up with a scene of um, both Nicola and Natalie sitting outside having a chat, and Natalie tries to subtly indicate to Nicola that she knows exactly what's going on, that she yeah. knows that she's bulimic. We have rooms right next we to each other. We have rooms right next to each you. other. I have ears. Yeah. I'm not deaf. I didn't say you were. Yeah. No, but... Do you and... notice her, her, though, her kind of nastiness is dialed down just a little bit at this oh, yeah. point in the movie like she's she's still snapping a little bit but it's not like you sexist yeah. or anything well, like that I mean, and this is this is not only her sister this is her twin sister and but she was pretty, are very close she I mean, was she pretty harsh in her earlier yeah but they're having a little moment and she's like you gotta she's like why haven't you told mom and dad then if you know yeah well first, first of all she's like i can't help it and she's like i know and it's like well, why haven't you told mom and dad and she's like i don't know and then she thinks actually, you know what, it's because it's your place to tell them. Right. And uh, encourages her to do so, and it's like, you know, there's help there for you. And so they're sitting there, and then she's like, they kind of sit there for a minute, and Nicholas smokes a couple puffs off her cigarette, and Natalie looks at her and goes, do you want some money? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I would. <laughs> and then so she, and that's how the movie ends. It's the first time in the movie that, that Nicola has actually taken help from someone Yeah. in that way. Like, that they've offered them help, and she's like, yeah, I will. And it's also a turn where... She's because she's always Nicola is always the one being like, get me cigarettes, get yeah. me money for cigarettes, blah blah blah. And this is the first time in the movie I think that someone is offering offered her money, yeah, absolutely. or yeah, help in some way. And that is how the movie ends. And I wouldn't even say that this is a very bleak ending. No. I think it's a little bit uplifting. It's hopeful. It's hopeful. It's hopeful, but it's not. It's so, not guaranteed. <laughs> yeah, it's not. A, it's not a big happy. It's not a big huge happy ending. No. I mean, we still even have. I mean, we still have the whole thing with Aubrey that never got resolved. He's his restaurant's failing. I mean, he's he's going nowhere. He's got the worst hangover of his life, no doubt. Yeah, uh, we still, you know, Andy's laid up. Uh, he she's the chip fan sits in the driveway un unmolested. I like how that didn't become the main plot. No, because I thought for a second, I was like, okay, so it's going to be I all was about telling this James, chip fan. I was telling James about this movie, a guy I work with, and he kept going, "Is this is the movie Chef? You're talking about the movie Chef?" I'm like, "No, it's not Chef." 
<laughs> yeah, the movie isn't about the uh, yeah, the, exactly. the food truck. Yeah. That's just that's ancillary to the to the what's going on. Which is interesting. I think it's really interesting that it is that it is that way. That it's, it doesn't drive the plot. Yeah, the family. The family is what drives whatever plot there is to this movie. Just this. It's it's the life of a family over the course of these few weeks, and you know not everything is resolved, and and you know but we're in a hopeful position at the end, and I fucking really like this movie a lot. Well, and let's um, so we're gonna go into the background of the movie here. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Mike Lee's kind of style. So the first thing I have here is just a clip of uh, of an actress talking about Mike Lee's style. Now, of course, this is not. This movie, yeah. So she talks a little bit about her character, like she says her character's name, and it's not this movie. But who's the uh, actress? I don't, I don't even know. Brendan who's <laughs> on a radio show. But this is an actress talking about Mike Lee's uh, writing style. Just before we start to shoot, he will go away for a few days, and he will create a scenario of of the journey of the film. But it'll be as, and he'll then talk to us one to one about what our characters journey is what what happens to them what scenes they're going to be involved in but it'll be as it'll be one-liners it'll be like scene one mary goes to visit tom and jerry scene two jerry's at work you know it's like it's as brief as that and then we start structuring those scenes and then we shoot structure shoot structure but it's never written down because um, the words that we say are the actors. The actors are improvising, so all the words that I say as Mary have come from me. So that that, that explains a lot. That explains why that this movie feels so natural in a lot of ways. Well, that's what, yeah, that's what I want to. So that's how I wanted to kind of get into that. Is that the dialogue in this film is very like nothing about it seems fake. Nothing about it seems movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you met you. We talked about you know you you mentioned how the scene between Nicola and Wendy hits hard. And I think that's because they may even they may even be drawing from their own experiences. Yes. By the way, late breaking news from uh, f- that actress's name was uh, Leslie Manville, and that was in the f- about the film Another Year from 2010. Okay, so Mike Lee's still going strong. Still going strong as of 2010. As of t- well, he did also Happy Go Lucky, which I think was after that, okay. or maybe before that. I don't. Is know. he alive still? Mike Lee. Yep. Sure Good for is. Him. Good for him. Good for him being alive. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean. Yeah, so Mike Lee actually comes from a background of having not really been a big fan of acting classes, per se. <laughs> so he he took them, because he first wanted to be an actor, yeah. and he didn't really like the way they kind of taught people to emote, taught people to do this, taught people to do that. But when he first saw a film called Shadows, which was a movie uh, directed by John Cassavetes, mm-hmm. who, and it was kind of an improvised film, and that's where he kind of got the idea that maybe getting together with a group of actors... Uh, could help create a play from scratch because he was a playwright first. Yeah, uh, he was actually inspired a lot by someone who had a lot to do with last week's movie, uh, Harold Pinter. Ooh. So uh, Lee's style made for some very obviously harsh, bleak, and very angry movies, mm-hmm. especially his early stuff. Yeah, uh, because they were during the Thatcher years, as we uh. talked about. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose the rea- that's the kind of reaction you would expect in that era. But as she left office, his films became noticeably a little soft, softer, to the point where he made Happy Go Lucky, uh, which was a movie with Sally Hawkins. Actually, it's a mm-hmm. really good movie. Check it out. Uh, she plays a cheerful, optimistic kindergarten teacher who goes through life with a smile on her face, despite basically everything going to shit all mm-hmm. around her. Kind of like Wendy. Yeah. Mike Lee has this reoccurring thing where he often has a female, a really strong female character yeah. who kind of just just keeps her head up 
A head above board. She's head the lidge, lidge pin for everything that's going on, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even in a happy-go-lucky, like, that character's an alcoholic. But she never addresses that. She never thinks she's an alcoholic. She just kind of does it. She's just always drinking. Yeah. Uh, it was so it's still like a kind of a dour movie in a way, mm. but it's definitely uplifting compared to something like this or yeah. you know the movie Naked, which is probably the darkest movie I've, I think he's ever made <laughs> with David Thewlis, by the way. Is that on this list? No, oh. should be. It's really good. The script here was developed by Lee and the cast, of course, using his practice of collectively interpro- improvising, uh, enterprising, <laughs> improvising and rehearsing for several weeks prior to shooting. Uh, for example, we played that clip earlier of Aubrey's kind of weird recipes. Mm. They actually went, they were actually devised by Mike Lee and Timothy Spall, that whole list, <laughs> over the course of an evening. And then they checked uh, for plausibility with a professional chef. <laughs> so they're like, could this stuff actually be made and be edible? He says, and then the chef basically is like, yes. Yes, but that's all we need. <laughs> yeah. These ones are technically possible to prepare. Uh, they're all disgusting. And they're like, yeah, that's what we're going for. That's totally what we're going for. Uh so Lee said. So Lee said, of course, you know, all these recipes were all feasible, gross as they sound. Um, <laughs> interestingly, David Thulis, who plays, of course, Nicola's anonymous lover, because we never get his name. He was kind of disappointed with uh, this movie, just mm. because he was being given such a small role, and he kind of <laughs> wanted to be just a bigger part of the movie. I guess his part might have been a bit bigger at first. Maybe. But uh, he's, he's great. Yeah, oh, he's great. I don't think he hates the movie or anything. Mm. He was just like, oh man, I wish I could have been a I'm bigger part I'm an actor, part of I wanted to have more screen time, I did. Oh, I guess I'm going to go do Island of Dr. Moreau, I will. I'm going to go be on screen in the Big Lebowski for 30 fucking seconds. Oh, well, think about this. If you just said, I'm going to go do a movie with Marilyn Brando and Val Kilmer, that sounds pretty fucking awesome. Especially in that era, yeah. Yeah. But uh, Lee promised him, basically Lee promised David Thewlis the next time he considered him for a role, he'd be given, quote, a fair slice of the pie. And that's what happened because his next role was in Naked and he was the lead actor and he won several awards for it. Nice. Yeah. Um, Budget of this movie is kind of unknown, but I'm going to guess it was very low. Yeah. Because I don't think there's a lot, there's no special effects. Nobody in this movie is super famous, at least not at the time. No. Jim Broadbent, of course, we know now, but he's not like an A-lister. Yeah. Um, David Thewlis obviously was no one at the time. These now are well-known British character actors, certainly, but not. Yeah. Uh, box office, it made $1.5 million, so I feel like it did profit. It must have, yeah. I can't imagine they spent all that much money on that movie. Um, did you notice that it, it sure looks like Jim Broadbent either aged a lot between uh, <laughs> 1990 and 1998's The Avengers, or that movie aged him, The Avengers? Well, I'm going to say this, Jason. Broke his ankle in uh, in this movie. I think that led to him becoming mother in the Avengers. He couldn't be a chef anymore, and the chip van exploded, so he had to join up with the government, and then yep. became mother, and which aged him very harshly because it's a very stressful job. Boom! Done. Nailed it. Because we never get mother's name. It's probably Andy. Andy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I also wanted to mention too, uh, um, just while I'm thinking about it. Um, so <laughs> when we when we're doing this movie, Brendan's like, "Hey, could you look into the history of this and and maybe have something to talk about in the Thatcher era?" And so the movie doesn't really deal with a lot of that stuff, I except mean, it's... for the conversation between Wendy and Nicola. Yes, they kind of talk about the jobs and stuff. Yes, yes. Um, but what the the one political statement that does stand out, and I had to look it up to find out what the hell it was even talking about, was she's wearing a T-shirt. That says bollocks to the poll tax, and yeah. as a, as a person from North America, I thought, and knowing a little bit of history, I thought poll tax. 
Why would they have a poll tax in the United Kingdom? A poll tax generally has been something, it's like money that you have to pay to vote. And it's been historically used in the United States to, to suppress poor people and black people and people of color from voting. Um, but then I had to look into the UK version of a poll tax. That's not what it was at all. Uh, what it was, it, it was a derogatory name for something called the community charge. And what it was is that in the, in the, before 1990 in the UK, taxes were assessed on something called rates. And it had to do with like, you know, type of land and, and, you know, there were different systems to figure out exactly how much tax you would pay. The Thatcherites decided to change it, Thatcher specifically, wanted to change it to a flat tax. So everybody paid the same amount of money. There were discounts here and there, depending if you were super poor or whatever, but everybody paid the same amount of money. And as you know, uh, Brennan, because you're politically uh, uh, pretty sharp, uh, flat tax only benefits rich people because for them it's a pittance, uh, but for poor people it's actually quite a bit of money to pay. Didn't fucking Steve Forbes try to do oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah. No, they've, uh, a lot of um, libertarians and and hardcore uh, like financial rich people usually what like the idea of a flat tax because it's way less money that they have to pay. Yeah. Um, than anything else. So, but yeah, and, and so this this was a flat tax thing. People hated it. There were protests, and it only stuck around for about two years before the the I have to assume the major government, John Major government, changed it so that it went to a system that was, I guess, kind of similar to the it, look, folks. If you know about the poll tax in the early 1990s England and want to explain it to me in a way that I can understand, please let us know. I'm at Jason D McLeod on Twitter. I'll repeat that later. <laughs> Um, I also think that she's probably just wearing that shirt because it's political. Exactly. And she, she found it on a, on, a, on a rack. I don't know where she got it. She doesn't seem to leave the house. But Yeah. I, I feel like she's just like, this it's, is, it's a statement. It's, it's some kind of statement. This fits my view. It's some kind of blanket statement against the government that she no, it's a t-shirt have. statement, Brendan. It's not a blanket. Oh. Although it's very big. All because right. she wears a lot of baggy clothing because she thinks she's fat because she's bulimic. That's... That's definitely something I wanted to talk about. Yeah. So she even wears these huge overalls. Mm-hmm. But do you think... I'm wondering. I'm wondering if she was big at one point. Because it's possible. Why would she like? But, why would they buy, buy all these huge? But as clothes? as a person who is chubby, I can tell you that I've always worn baggy clothes. Yeah. And it helps you make look, look make you look less fat. Yeah. Um, so you know that regardless of whether she was fat or not, like that was the wisdom. <laughs> Just, I'm wearing baggy clothes. Cause I think I'm fat, and I don't want to show it off. Um. Well, I like I want to okay. Let, let's deep dive into this. Thing. All right, I want to talk about the opening first. Sure, because I want to play the way the movie brings you into the the way that the, Mike Lee brings you into the movie. Yeah, because we first we start with Wendy teaching aerobics to children. Children who I, I figure if I do the math right are probably like my age right now. <laughs> like I was about that age. It was nineteen ninety, so I would have been six when this movie came out. So I want to kind of play the. Um, the opening just to get a sense of the the tone of the movie right off the bat because it changes a lot but never in a in a way that kind of made me go whoa like, it's not it's not metal gear solid kind of tone change it's like pretty you know it, it, it it's a it's a slow curve it's not like an immediate just shock to the system it's a, it's an example of how you do tone change although seeing them little titties that was a bit of a shock to the system so here we go Go, 
That's so, still better than the opening song from Four Weddings and a Funeral. They're writing songs. Stop it! Love. Stop it now! So what I really like about that mm-hmm. is that's like I think this is the most possibly the most likable introduction yeah. for a character. I think I've I think I've seen any of these movies. Yeah, uh, she's just having a great time with these kids. She's great with the kids. Yeah, loves them. Uh, she's perfect with it. And, and it also kind of harkens back to like, she's kind of sad. There's also a sadness uh, behind her eyes that her kids are all grown up mm-hmm. and she kind of doesn't get to have that experience again. But, but by working at the children's clothing store and by doing this dance class, she gets to connect with those younger kids that she, you know. Do you think misses. also, because we see her one time at the children's clothing yeah. store and she sees a kid and she's like, oh, you chunky little monkey. You chunky, chunky little chunky, monkey. Chunky. What's his name? Nigel. Oh, little Nigel, Nigel. But I'm wondering if like that whole like, you chunky little monkey, chunky, chunky. I wonder if that that's the kind of stuff that got to Nicola. Uh, possibly, possibly. But I'm not saying, I'm not, fat babies. I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming her. No. Let's just get set that out right it's now. Possible. It's I'm like, not blaming her for like causing her to have that mindset but i'm saying some people interpret things different ways that's true that's true she's a she's loves chubby babies and uh nicola didn't get that yeah okay so the big another big thing we talked about before is how the dialogue also feels very natural yes and obviously you know improvised which i did not know going into this movie that that was the case and didn't even consider it but yeah yeah, absolutely obviously makes a lot of sense that way um i want to play just the opening kind of dialogue with the family where she comes home and they're kind of talking back and forth and it's just like just listen to this it sounds like you're listening to a family yeah, converse it does not absolutely. sound like a movie let's hear it let's hear it here we go come in little sandwich Andy yeah what'd you got cheese toasty yeah lovely I've got my glasses on <laughs> I was going blind yeah ta-da chocolate yeah chocolate I'll eat you off you are I can give it up tomorrow no trouble oh, coffee no thanks please do you want a little sandwich Nat yeah do you want a pickle of course I want pickle. Can I get out there this afternoon? Finish off that patio? Oh, don't give me heart attack, Andy, please. I will. Make a start. What you getting at? A shirt. Is it? Yeah. Can I have a look? If you want to. Oh, it's nice. Yeah, it's alright, isn't it? Yeah. Why do you always get a man's? Because I like them. It suits me. Thanks a lot, Nat. Funny man. But it's not for me. No, it's not for you. Oh, shame. Got my luck and change. Mm-hmm. You should get a nice blouse. Show sleeves. Well, show yourself off a bit. Shut up. Well, don't listen to her. Yeah, that's totally just a family just talking and giving each other a bit of shit. And... Yeah, and I mean, we get a little sense of like how she's like, oh, why do you always get men's shirts? Like, there's a little bit underneath the surface. Mm, mm. And there's a lot going on in that 54 second yeah. clip. You got that. So you got yeah. that, that that kind of allusion to like, oh, she's she's kind of very like tomboyish, and yeah. the, the mother's a little like unsure about what that means. You get a sense of uh, of Andy never finishing anything. No, and of course the great line, "Of course I want pickle." Yeah, absolutely. I love just that. Like, just so, just of course I want a fucking that pickle. Like, mom. I've said that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have said that exact line too. I don't like pickles, but I understand the the emphasis behind it. Yes, of course. Yeah. Of course, course I, want, I want cheese on my hamburger. Do, Are you dumb? Do you want? Do you want a pickle with your grilled cheese? Yes. Come on. Just slap them like, are you fucking stupid? Come on. I was confused at first about the thing where Patsy first comes over and Nicola was like messing with her hair a bunch. Yeah. But I'm, th- I'm guessing that was just like a nervous thing. Nervous or she just, you know, it's, it's, it's her husband's friend so she doesn't want to look like a complete slob in front of him. Yeah. And then I was like, is she into him? And <laughs> kind of dropped quickly. No, she's just, uh, she just cares about herself. Mm-hmm. She hasn't given up. Uh, this movie has a couple of funny, like, 
broad comedic moments too. There's mm. one that sticks out for me is when Andy and uh, Patsy are in the junkyard looking yeah. at the at the at the food truck and then suddenly like a trunk on a car slams and it's literally like a cartoonish moment where he gets scared and jumps and like grabs him like yeah. he just that's like... <laughs> and again reinforcing that that's a real shady sh- shady deal that's going down which patsy points out points to like clearly a drawing of like a steaming cup of coffee and he's like oh look there's lightning bolts striking yeah. that cup of tea yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's not a he's not an aware person. No, you know weird sales technique, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. At one point, they used the term buttered muffins, and I looked it up because I wanted to know if it was some yeah. kind of slang. The only thing I found is a uh, a vagina full of cum. <laughs> I don't think Jesus. that's the same. Act. I mean, is it guys, don't what rhyming I, slang. What I'm trying to say is, don't you don't do your research on Urban Dictionary. That's right. <laughs> that's <what they're... laughs> Look up a Fredericton feedback to see why. <laughs> oh God. Let's talk about a little bit about the uh, the relationship between Nicola and Natalie, mm-hmm. like the sisters. Yeah. So I think that's kind of a, a unique. They kind of have a unique thing where they're not they're kind of at each other's throats a little bit. Well, she's at Natalie's throat more. Yeah. But there's also kind of a sibling connection. But they have this one conversation that I really really like, and you kind of mentioned a little bit about the yeah. how all men were rapists. Thing. Yes. <laughs> I, I love this conversation. It basically starts off by her ask Natalie asking if uh, Nicola ever wants to have children. Yes. So let's play that. We're going to hear a little bit of that. Do you think you'll ever have kids? No. Well, you're pretty sure for one so young. Oh, not like a tank for nine months. Give me a break. Is that all you're worried about? What you'll look like? I'd make a good mother. Oh, would ya? Yeah. Why do you want kids? Yeah. In the fullness of time. Do you? Of course. You've got to have a boyfriend first. Yeah, one does generally need a bloke, this is true. Well, you're not doing very well then, are you? Well, I haven't seen your men exactly queuing up in droves. You don't know. What, they sneak around here in the daytime, do they, when no one's in? Anyway, you don't need a bloke to have a kid. Well, I wouldn't fancy bringing one up on me own. Well, it's better to be on your own than be with a bastard. Well, presumably you wouldn't choose a bastard in the first place if you had any sense. All men are bastards. What? They're all potential rapists. That's a bit sweeping. All men have got the ability to rape. Well, they don't all do it, do they? If they've got the ability, they've got the desire. That's paranoid rubbish. What do you know about paranoia? Well, not half as much as you do, I'll give you that. You'll find out when you get to America. I'm only going on a holiday. So? Well, you think I'm going to get yanked off the plane at John F. Kennedy Airport and be raped and pillaged, dear? You've got to be on your guard. Do you hear what I just said? What? Yanked. Get it? What? Yanked. America. Racist. <laughs> <laughs> that might be one of my favorite that's scenes. One of the best, yeah, that's one great. of the best comedic scenes in the yeah. movie. Should I say racist? But yeah, no. It fe- again, feels like a real conversation siblings would have. So I mean, I like this movie. Also, kind of felt like um, I don't have a lot else to say, but I do want to say that this movie kind of felt like a modern or a more modern version of like a kitchen sink drama, mm. uh, but with a lot more like 
comedic elements. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot lighter than, you know, some of the black and white, I, the Kesses and the sporting lives of the world. I mean, there's some dark shit in this movie, yeah. but it's done. It's not done in the same way as, like, yeah, this sporting life, or even, like, uh, I mean, I can't think of anything. <laughs> yeah, Kess. Yeah, Kess. <laughs> yeah, one. the examples you said. Uh, yeah, it's not done in the same manner, but it it does kind of feel a little bit like that kind of uh, that kind of uh, drama. But I mean, do you have anything else you want to throw in before we uh, we kind of move on to the next section here? Uh, no, I think we've uh, just about said it. This is a great movie, no question, one hundred percent unconditional recommendation. <laughs> well, we haven't gotten to that yet, but uh, spoiler alert. I mean, I think you guys pretty much get an idea. You know where what's we going stand. on. But let me just say. That somehow this movie doesn't get nominated for either an Oscar mm-hmm. or a BAFTA. Not a single really? one. Really? Nothing. Nothing. Horseshit. Yeah. However, you know, it gets a few odds and ends here. So, uh, Jane Horrocks, who plays, of course, Nicola, who's fantastic. Fantastic, yeah, absolutely. In this movie. Uh, she gets Best Supporting Actress at the LA Film Critics Association Awards, so that's cool. Nice. Somebody and, cares. And at the National Society of Film Critics Awards, where it also wins Best Film, and Alison Stedman, who plays Wendy, also wins Best Actress. So. Deserved. Oh, yeah. I say Alison Stedman and Jane Horrocks are the two best performers oh, in yeah. this movie. They bring it all. I mean, and everybody's great, but oh, yeah, they great, really yeah. bring it home. Uh, critics, though, we'll talk a little bit about the critics, because critics pretty much universally love this movie. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it heaps of praise. He gave it like a 4 out of 4, I think. Uh, He commented that in spite of the constraints of independent film production, the film was, quote, as funny, spontaneous, and free as if it had been made on on a lark by a millionaire. Mm -hmm. He added that, quote, by the end of Life is Sweet, we are treading close to the stuff of life itself, to the way we all struggle and make do, compromise some of our dreams, and insist on the others. Watching this movie, he also said, watching this movie made me realize how boring and thin many movies are, how they substitute plots for the fascinations of life. Huh. Which is interesting. So he's saying, this movie didn't even need, like, a, a plot, like, oh, the food truck, and they somehow need to make that work, and they're selling food, and the truck breaks down, and it catches on fire, and they have to rebuild it. Like, there's nothing like that. Hmm. This is literally just, like, I mean, nothing against movies with plots. Yeah. Like, we love those. Yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But this is a movie where there are, almost is no plot. Yeah. And that's kind of uh, to make I that if Richard Linklater ever saw this movie before he made Slacker or Days. Richard Confused. Linklater said, <laughs> "Days Confused was '93." Yeah, so and Slacker was somewhere in between okay. these two movies. Well, maybe, maybe it was an influence on him. However, on the opposite end for critics, we have David Sexton who says that quote the film never transcends sitcom and remains static and anecdotal, uh, and not the complete story. Further, he wrote that the film is, quote, the product of an unresolved attitude to its subject matter, and in particular of an uneasy relation to questions of class. What do you think about that? I, I guess he's saying it could have gone harder. It didn't It didn't really go hard enough on those questions. He's, he's saying it was like, it wasn't a, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a tough enough start. Yeah. This movie, I don't think this movie's goal is to be like a political slam. Yeah. Well, Philip French wasn't feeling that. No. And he fires back and he says, Lee has been called patronizing, like Mike Lee. Uh, the chart. This charge is false, and he talks about this David Lee Noel Coward film, This Happy Breed, which he says is a patronizing movie. Coward and Lee pat their characters on the back. Lee, however, shakes them, hugs them, sometimes despairs over them, but never thinks that they are other than versions of of ourselves. Mm. Yeah, that's a good quote. That's like, yeah, he never likes. Uh, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't ever say this character is good and you yeah. like them. 
This character is perfect and you love him. This character is hateful and you hate yeah. him. Aubrey is many different shades. Wendy, I think Wendy is probably, you love her, but you but she also has like a few things, right? Yeah. Uh, like anybody. Nicola is, you in any in a weaker movie, you'd be like, oh, she's terrible. Yeah, she's but, a bitch. But, she's, but you understand. You get it. You get what she's, you know, the kind of shit she's going through. And that's, I think, yeah. Well, let's go right into it then, Jason. Let's wrap this up. Let's talk about our, our kind of final thoughts on this movie. Well, it's number 95. Number ninety five on the BFI top one hundred. I think it deserves to be higher. It's definitely going to be yeah. higher on my list. I I mean we're still within the first twenty. Yeah. But right now it is. It's not. It's not ninety five. I don't understand how the English patient is above this movie. <laughs> more influential, maybe. Mm, yeah, certainly. I mean, mm, I yeah. guess obviously Does, made I mean, a lot more money. That's for sure. Maybe one of the first like Oscar bait movies. Yeah. From like British Oscar bait movies. We're never going to stop talking about the English patient. Maybe that's why it's on there. You know what? Might have to change my list. English Patient is now <laughs> number, number one. one. Right above Bridge of the River Kwai. Most talk about British movie of all time. There we go. It would be on that list. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, it's number 95. So what did you... So what's, overall. Overall, I enjoyed it. It was real. It, it was funny. It was... There were some dark moments. But it felt like a real life. It felt like real shit that real people go through. And uh, certainly at that time. And and But the first, the experiences are universal, Brendan. I, and and yeah, Universal watch Studios. this movie. Watch this movie for that scene with Nicola and her mother. It's great. Go rent it at your local video store today. Go get it at your local Blockbuster. Yes. Which is, I guess everybody's local Blockbuster is that one in Bend, Oregon. <laughs> uh, no, it's totally worth checking out. Uh, so yeah, number 95 on the BFI. I also think it should be higher. Mm. Like, much higher. And I, <laughs> I even wrote in my notes, you're telling me <laughs> this is 40 movies worse than The English Patient. Yeah. I love the improv- improvisational nature of the movie. It has obviously some very strong performances. And it has this effortless blend of like lighthearted comedy and some really depressing material. Um, and I guess, again, it's impressive because it never feels like an unnatural tone shift between those two things. And then, you know what? I know this is a leap, but I'm going to say it anyway. Kind of reminds me of The Full Monty in a way yeah. that The Full Monty deals with a lot of shit. Mm. And it does deal with some serious shit in a serious way in yeah. some scenes, but it's also very funny. Yeah. And it never kind of—I mean, I—I I, I think this movie's a little bit more impressive. Yeah. But it—it it, it, in the same way they—they're both juggling things in an impressive way. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what I Absolutely, Brendan. You nailed it on the head again. You done it. You're right. Bra bra bra. Enjoy it while it lasts. Damn it. We can't—we can't agree on every movie. So now, Jason, we come to the point in the show where. You know, it's it's a ner- it's nervous. It's a ner- we have to nervous. put our faith in the gods of moviedom, the oh. one that saves our screen, Brendan. The, we the must put and, our faith in that god. Our red and green Christmas dice. Our gods, which are personified as dice. Yes. Because when we say God save the cream, cream, do we say God save the cream? God save the cream. That's the God save show. God save the cream. The people in Captain Marvel. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so when uh, when we say at the end of the episode, "God save the queen," "God save the screen," yeah, um, we're actually referring to two specific different gods. Screen and, and they, screen and que- I just said screen. <laughs> uh, the 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 green die saves the screen, and the red die saves the queen. That makes sense because red is blood. That's right. So we are going to roll dice. Yes, uh, much like the movie Roll Bounce, and Ooh. it's on the list. Rollerball on the list for awesome. sure. 20 Minutes of Night Vision. Let's the, do it. The remake only, though. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, Paul yeah. Heyman. Best British actor of all time. 
So we are going to roll the dice, and whatever number we get on this dice, we're going to look at the BFI Top 100 list, and that is the movie we are going to do. So if we guess what? So if we roll 25, we're doing number 25. We already did number 25. If we roll 71, we're doing 71. If we roll 52, we're doing 52. I hope we don't get any of those numbers so people don't think I'm making oh, 52 this 52 is this sporting life, so we've already done <laughs> okay, it. Okay, well, I probably, all those numbers are probably ones that we already did. <laughs> well, 71's Elizabeth. I've seen that in a long time. That'd okay. be good. So, here we go, Brendan. Gonna roll, do this on the mic here. Give a blow. Perfect. Big money, big money, big money. 52. Holy shit! We literally just said. Do we have to do a reroll? Uh, yeah, because this is Sporting Life. First reroll, Jason. That's our first reroll in the entire episodes we've done. Wow. So, we're getting somewhere here. All right, here we go. How about 62? 62 is going to be Sense and Sensibility, 1995's edition, directed by Ang Lee of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon fame. Another, like, fairly modern movie. Oh, I think I think my girlfriend's going to like this one. Okay. I've uh, heard, I, I, I'm sure I've heard good things. Yeah, well, it's I'm based a, on the Jane Austen novel. I don't know much about it. Mr. Stone Darcy, Cold Jane or is, Austen? That, or is that Pride and Prejudice? Is that really in relation to Stone Cold Steve Austin? Jane Stone Austen? Cold Jane Austen, yeah. She was she was fucking up the literary scene in the 1800s. Her feud with Stephanie McMahon was legendary. Oh, uh, well, well, Stephanie McManus, uh, which was their name before they came through Ellis Island. Because <laughs> they were Irish, you see. <laughs> yeah, because Vince came and said, What? My name is Vince McManus, god damn it! <laughs> it's McMahon now. Why are they Irish? Uh, well, they would have been, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> doesn't have to make show. sense, but we're going to watch that movie we just talked about, Sense and Sensibility, 1995. Number Angley. 62. Uh, who else is in this thing? Uh, we got, uh, oh, our old friend Hugh Grant is in there. We got Emma Thompson. We got Alan Rickman. And we got uh, Kate Winslet. So There you go. A who's who. A who's um, who of Sense and Sensibility. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's going to be next week. So until then, though, we I, as I point to the dice, as Jason uh, named them earlier. Yes. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. Jason, I got this uh, jar of uh, hazelnut spreads. Should we head out? Or... Did you shave your chest? That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June. I said that's life. That's life. And as funny as it may seem, some people get their kicks. Stomping on a dream But I don't let it Let it get me down Cause this fine old world It keeps spinning around I've been a puppet A pauper A pirate It's time Let's check our cue Baby Pair it with a couple Brews Baby We love your movies. We love the bad ones too.
So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies with a one last plot holes are gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven at eilfm.podbean.com. If you've ever found yourself scrolling through the recommended movies on streaming services and wondering if any of those are worth your time, I'm here to help. Hi, I'm Erica, host of Customers Also Watched, a podcast about movies on Amazon Prime. I started with one movie from my own watch list, and from there, each episode, I grab a friend or two, and we discuss a movie from the Customers Also Watch list of the previous episode's movie. Follow on Twitter at CAW Podcast and Facebook or Instagram under Customers Also Watched. Available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. See you down the rabbit hole. <laughs>